Matthew chapter 8 and at verse 5. A centurion who became a Christian. You can't pick up your New Testament and begin to read it without being impressed with the fact that all the scenes recorded in the Gospels have their atmosphere in the Roman government. The very coming of the Lord Jesus Christ on the human level was occasioned by the decree of Caesar Augustus, who had everyone to be taxed. That's why Mary and that's why Joseph found themselves at Bethlehem. And wherever you look throughout the Gospels, we're constantly being confronted with cohorts, with bands, with legions, with centurions, with soldiers, with the Roman army. And it's a very interesting study, in fact, very fascinating, to discover that invariably something very commendable is said about the centurions. There are seven of them mentioned in the New Testament. There's something unique about these men, and particularly the man we're going to consider tonight. The thing that fascinates me is this man's philosophy of authority. And you know, the Holy Spirit has recorded this because the Lord Jesus Christ saw in this man's statement one of the greatest attestations of personal and committed faith that he found anywhere in Israel. The Lord Jesus marveled greatly, and he said, I haven't found so great faith, no, not in all Israel. And I'm tremendously impressed with that. And it's drawn me to consider, what was the secret of this man? I want us to look at three things tonight in relation to this man. First of all, this man's philosophy of authority. He said to the Lord Jesus, I am a man under authority, and I have soldiers under me. All authority is derived. It is never originated in man. Ever since the fall of man, all authority in man was canceled out. God made man and gave him authority over all creation. But by sin, he lost his authority. And man has never regained that authority, nor can he regain that authority, save in Jesus Christ. There are only three areas in which God gives authority, even in the unconverted world, the unregenerate world. There is authority in the state. There is no power save that which is given of God. The second circle is the home. God has given authority to the husband. And wife answers to husband and children answer to parents. And within that area, even in the unregenerate world, authority is not originated within themselves. It is derived. It is given. There is a third circle, and of course this is not the unregenerate circle, but it could be very much in Christendom and corrupt religion, and that's the church. And within the church, God has given authority. And that authority is from the headship of Christ through its leadership, through its officers, through its membership. Again, it's an authority which is not inherent in man, but derived from the head of the church, even Jesus Christ. No man has authority outside of God. If that be true, then, the philosophy which this man enunciated on that particular occasion is tremendously important. What he was saying is this. Authority can only be exercised under submission to a higher authority. He says, I am a man under authority. And he says, the authority I have is derived authority. And it's come because I have submitted myself to my emperor. And therefore I can say to soldiers, go, and they go, come, and they come, work, and they work. It's not my authority, it's a derived authority. And it's a statement and a principle of scripture that you'll find from Genesis to Revelation. That all authority 
comes in direct submission to a higher authority. All authority is derived. Look at the nature of this man's submission. He said, I am a man under authority. Now, my dear friends, if you have studied your New Testaments and if you've studied Roman history, you will discover that when that man said, I'm a man under authority, he was a man who had come to a place in his life where he was prepared to give everything, literally everything, over to the emperor. From now onwards, how he dressed, how he conducted himself, indeed, even what he ate had to be colored by the fact that he was now in submission to the emperor. My dear friend, there is no submission to the authority of Jesus Christ which calls for anything less. When a man comes to Jesus Christ, he literally says, My will is not mine own until I've made it thine. The nature of that submission, we've discussed. The purpose of it, listen carefully. I'm a man under authority having soldiers under me. This man knew that if he ever was going to enjoy the power to be able to commission, the power to be able to attract, the power to be able to get men to do a job, he had to pay the price. Authority is not for self-aggrandizement. Authority is for doing a job. This then is the philosophy of authority. But let's go further into this story. Not only do we see here the philosophy of authority in this man's amazing statement, but in the second place we see the power of this authority. He said, I am a man under authority having soldiers under me, and I say to this man, go, and he goeth, and to this man, come, and he cometh, and to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. And what this man was literally saying was this, it's directive because I can send people. It is attractive because I can invite people. It's creative because I can make people work. Submission to the authority of Jesus Christ gives me power, first of all, in the area of leadership. And I want to say here tonight, my friend, you'll never know leadership in your life of any kind unless that spirit life of yours is totally submitted to the sovereignty of Jesus Christ. In terms of Christian experience, until that spirit is committed to the Lord Jesus Christ, is being quickened by the Holy Spirit, and is totally in tune with heaven, you can do all the shouting you like in the world, you can do all the commanding in the world, and no one will take the slightest notice of you. It's only when people distinguish that you have a spirit which is in submission to a higher power, and there is being mediated through that spirit of yours, that which is Truly leadership will people go when you tell them to go. But not only in the area of leadership is their power, but when I'm truly submitted in the area of fellowship, there is power. Come, I say to another, and he comes. And this presupposes not the submission so much of a man's spirit, but the submission of a man's soul, his mind, his heart, his will. For let me tell you, we come to God because he's a person. And God is possessed of mind and heart and will. That is essentially personality. And until a person is totally submitted to God in terms of his mind and heart and will, he can say, come all day and all night and nobody will come. Do you know why that is, my friend? Because you've got no authority in the area of your soul. You can't say to this one, come, and he comes. But let's go further and notice in the third place, Authority not only in the area of leadership, authority not only in the area of fellowship, but authority in the area of stewardship. A man has to demonstrate that his body has been totally yielded to that higher authority 
and that their total body talents, ties, and time, for we are in space and in time, has been totally yielded. And that body has demonstrated that it's the vehicle for the expression of God's creative life. And because he's creative, he expects others to be creative. Is it any wonder that the Lord Jesus shook his head and marveled greatly that there was found a man like this, whose faith had penetrated beyond all the formalism and all the fanaticism of the religious leaders to a concept of true authority as it exists in the heart of God. And his philosophy of power was simply this. All authority is derived, and it comes by submission to a higher power. I have submitted to that higher power. In this case, it happens to be the emperor. And the nature of my submission is this. It's total. My will, my property, my relations, my all. The purpose of it is that I might do a job. And I'm glad I'm a centurion. And I'm glad I've got a hundred men. And I'm glad that I'm doing a job. The power of his authority was simply this. That having now submitted himself totally and completely, he knew that he had been given a power which was attractive. A power which was directed. A power which was created. But my friend, it's even more wonderful yet. For in this philosophy of authority, which we're considering its principle, its power, this man, in great faith, broke right through beyond what he saw in Caesar to what he saw in Jesus Christ. For his pattern of authority was none other than Jesus Christ. It's the most important word in this whole story. Listen carefully. He said, I am also a man under authority. I am also a man under authority. If he was the also man, who was the absolute man? The answer is Jesus. And I'm telling you something tremendous comes out of that. For this man saw in the authority of Jesus Christ, the pattern authority, an authority which was characterized by three things. First of all, it was, listen carefully, a holy authority. He said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof. Ordinarily, you'd find him as a proud Roman soldier who made everyone bend before him. But here he is cowering, as it were, before the Lord Jesus and saying, I'm just an ordinary Roman soldier, but you're a worthy one. You're the holy one. You're the holy one. And he saw in this harmless holy one an authority which was pure and noble and majestic. It was a holy authority. I want you to know the second thing he saw in this authority. Not only did he see this authority as being utterly holy, he saw it as being utterly heavenly. He said to the Lord Jesus, Speak the word only and my servant shall be healed. He was a man who saw clean through to the Lord Jesus Christ as possessing not only a holy authority, but a divine, a supernatural, a heavenly authority. An authority that was unaffected entirely by space or time. Space or time. They were quite away from the house, even though they were getting nearer. And yet this man believed in the authority of Jesus Christ as being so divine, so supernatural, that he hadn't to reach the house in order to heal the servant. And it hadn't to be three weeks' time, but it could be instantaneous. And only divine authority can do that. Time and space vanish in the presence of heavenly authority. And my friend, if you're to kneel before the Lord Jesus Christ tonight to accept this authority from him, I'll tell you, first of all, it will be holy... The second thing, it'll be absolutely supernatural in heaven. It's the authority that came upon those disciples when they waited in Jerusalem. 
Peter and the rest of them couldn't lift their little fingers to do evangelism. Ah, they could pray of a sort. They could study their Bible. They could gather in fellowship. But somehow or other, they couldn't get to first base when it came to the exercise of authority. And then the endowment with power came upon them. And with that dunamis, there was also the authority of the Holy Ghost. Do you remember from that moment onwards they could wield authority throughout that entire Jerusalem area and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost part of the earth? It was a heavenly authority. The last thing I want you to notice, not only was it holy, not only was it heavenly, but this man saw through to the authority of Jesus Christ as being a healing authority, a redemptive authority. For when the Lord Jesus spoke the word, that young servant was healed in an instant. And all divine authority is ultimately remedial. It is always redemptive. So that the authority that's given even to a believer is never an authority which is dictatorial. It's never an authority which is merely tyrannical. It's authority which is remedial. It's redemptive. It always has the blessing of people in mind. The Lord Jesus looked into that man's face, and once again I said, he shook his head and he said, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith. No, listen, not in Israel. And every Israelite he met didn't know this authority. It was found in a centurion who had seen beyond them to God himself and in God Jesus Christ, who was so submitted to the Father that his holy, heavenly, healing authority could be released at any moment. Jesus said, here's a man who's got faith. My friend, tonight, if you're going to know authority in your life to be able to direct, to attract, and to create, if you're going to know authority in the area of your spirit and your soul and your body, if that authority of yours is going to be holy and heavenly and healing, you've got to have your meeting place with God, and you've got to exercise the faith of this centurion. There's only one breaking point. In the world. Do you know where that is? It's Calvary. God brings people to Calvary to break them. And the person who refuses to come to Calvary is the person who's unwilling to be broken. And since that higher power is Jesus Christ, there's only one way to know that holy, heavenly, healing authority in my life and that submission to him. And just as Jacob broke at Peniel and owned thee as authority over his life, I own thee now at the foot of the cross in true repentance and great faith. Are you prepared for that? Until you're prepared to say yes, my friend, you'll never, never, never know authority in your life. This is David Olford. You have been listening to a message from God's Word delivered by my late father, Dr. Stephen F. Olford, who went to be with the Lord in the year 2004. If you wish to learn about our online resources or learning events at the Institute for Biblical Preaching, our web address is olford.org. That's O-L-F-O-R-D dot org. You also may want to benefit from our online video training on expository preaching, which can also be found on our website. Thank you so much for listening.